Hello, and welcome to Talking Opinions. I am Anthony Livingston Hall. Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed triggered the genocidal fratricide, now raging in Ethiopia, more than a year before President Vladimir Putin triggered the one now raging in Ukraine. But while everyone seems shocked that Russians are killing their purported Ukrainian brothers so savagely, relatively few seem bothered that Ethiopians have been killing their purported Tigrayan brothers even more so. Of course, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to appreciate the Adamic nature that has caused brother to kill brother since the beginning of time. What is so foreboding, however, is that each fratricidal fight seems to get more genocidal than the one before. In its June 30, 2015 edition, National Interest magazine listed the five most lethal civil wars of all time, which affirm this trend, because each raged during this past century as follows. 1. Chinese brother killing brother from 1927 to 1950. 2. Korean brother killing brother from 1950. To 1953. 3. Vietnamese brother killing brother from 1955 to 1975. 4. Congolese brother killing brother spasmodically from 1960 to 2009. And 5. Nigerian brother killing brother from 1967 to 1970. As it happens, I felt constrained to observe in my most recent podcast episode on the Russian invasion of Ukraine that the fratricidal wars that have raged on every continent throughout the history of mankind show that men are in fact the same everywhere. Even so, Putin's threat to use nuclear weapons on Ukrainians, who he himself calls his brothers, shows that he is hell-bent on Russians distinguishing themselves in this genocidal respect. But I fear that even without nuclear weapons, Abiy is equally hell-bent on having Ethiopians show that man's inhumanity to man knows no bounds. Indeed, it is telling that his fellow Africans killed each other so savagely in previous fratricidal conflicts that theirs made up two of the five most lethal civil wars of all time, according to the list I shared a moment ago. Apropos of which, 
I see no point in delving into why Ethiopia is just the latest country on the dark continent, now at war with itself. And besides, you probably already know all you need to, if you're among the millions who have seen the critically acclaimed film, Hotel Rwanda. Because the grievances over ethnic self-determination and territorial control that have Tigray, Amhara, Oromo, and other brothers killing each other in Ethiopia are essentially carbon copies of those that had Hutu and Tutsi brothers killing each other in Rwanda. Uh, then again, perhaps my wariness just reflects the feelings of fecklessness and fatalism that come from writing so many commentaries on serial African genocides. The titles alone to just five of them should explain. 1. Genocide in DR Congo Rwanda with a vengeance on April 6, 2005. 2. Darfur says thanks, America, but the genocide is done on March 14, 2006. 3. Ethnic tensions threatening genocide in Kenya on January 17, 2008. 4. Tweeting genocidal Joseph Kony to death on March 8, 2012. And 5. South Sudan, another genocide developing in Africa on December 19, 2016. The prevailing point, though, is that if you take away skin colour, you will see little difference between the ethnic and territorial tensions that led to the genocidal conflict now raging on the European continent in Ukraine and those that led to the one now raging on the African continent in Ethiopia. What's more, the autocratic proclivities that have Putin hell-bent on derailing the independent destiny of Ukrainians are no different from those that have Abi hell-bent on squashing the independent aspirations of Tigrayans. In short, Putin is a wannabe czar. Abi, a wannabe Black Messiah. Again, this is not to minimize not just the very African, but the very Ethiopian nature of this conflict. Not least because the Tigrayan region of Ethiopia is only trying to emulate today what the Eritrean region did by engaging in a decades-long struggle until it gained independence in 1993. 
Still, it is notable that so much is being made of the way outmanned and outgunned Ukrainians have been bedeviling and frustrating Putin's Russian forces for 16 days now, as I record this on March 11. Because outmanned and outgunned Tigrayans have been doing the same to Abiy's Ethiopian forces for 16 months. Unfortunately, just as Putin is taking out his frustrations on women and children, complete with the bombing even of Ukrainian hospital maternity wards, Abi has been doing the same, and then some. In fact, the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Michel Bachelet, sounded alarm in this respect on Tuesday. She accused all parties in Ethiopia of gross violations of human rights, notably looting destroying civilian infrastructure, including schools and health facilities, and even blocking the delivery of food and medicine. But she could easily have been sounding alarm about what Putin is doing in Ukraine. In any event, as I indicated a moment ago, there is nothing unusual about this latest genocidal conflict in Africa, which has already left thousands dead, millions displaced, and millions more on the brink of starvation. True to form, it has also been defined by reports of ethnic cleansing and sexual violence. As it happens, I bemoaned the latter feature in Rape as a Weapon of War in Congo on October 18, 2010 and in South Sudan Descending into the Heart of Darkness on December 30, 2013. Yet, you'd be forgiven for having no clue that this genocidal conflict is now raging in Ethiopia, because Western media only become interested when Africans fleeing conflict begin arriving on European shores. And, as you surely know, the millions of Ukrainians fleeing conflict and arriving at national borders across Europe are providing more than enough humanitarian pathos for Western media to cover. In fact, nobody should be surprised that the media would rather deliver redundant 24-7 coverage of a humanitarian crisis in Europe than divert the world's attention for a minute to cover a humanitarian crisis in Africa. Nothing betrayed this continental racism, quite like the way Polish border guards treated Ukrainians and Africans who were fleeing Russian bombs, because they welcomed the Ukrainians with open arms, 
but they rejected the Africans who were studying in Ukraine and now fleeing those same bombs, as if they were escaped fugitives who should be returned to their Russian oppressors. <laughs> Apropos of which, the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights also sounded alarm about the conflict in Ethiopia beginning to spread. Therefore, more fleeing Africans might be arriving on European shores soon. But this obliges me to note that I'm on record lamenting in the blog commentary African migrants turning Mediterranean Sea into vast cemetery on February 12, 2015, as follows. I just hope the damning irony is not lost on any proud African that 50 years after decolonization, hundreds of Africans, men, women and children, are risking their lives practically every day to subjugate themselves to the paternal mercies of their former colonial masters in Europe. End quote. Uh, for more on this fateful irony, I refer you to the podcast episode African Migrants Imposing Reverse Colonialism on Europeans from November 20, 2020. My heart truly goes out to the long-suffering, God-forsaken people of Ethiopia. But, truth be told, it seems like I've been expressing forlorn hope for them ever since I launched my blog in commentaries like Despite Live 8 and G8, Relief looms like a cruel mirage to millions of Africans dying of starvation on July 21, 2005. And another African famine? Nobody cares. Then call me nobody. On May 2, 2014. I'd be remiss to end this episode without noting the untenable irony of the Nobel Committee awarding the 2019 Nobel Peace Prize to Abe, only to watch him plunge his country into genocidal conflict. Never mind that it was clear for anyone to see, even before the committee awarded him its Peace Prize, that Abi intended to lord over Ethiopia in ways that would make the late Emperor Haile Selassie look like a Jeffersonian Democrat. Sure enough, continuing my Putin analogy, he wasted little time executing a Putin-style crackdown on opposition leaders to ensure he rules for life, complete with the summary arrest of journalists, pro-democracy protesters and critics. And all of this 
was even before he began his ill-fated campaign to do to Tigray what Putin is doing to Ukraine. The Nobel Committee never revokes an award, no matter how warranted. It should feel a special duty, however, not just to rebuke Abby, but to organize relief efforts to deal with the humanitarian crisis he has caused. Because it does not bode well that, just as Putin is demonizing his Ukrainian brothers as Nazis and gangsters, Abi is demonizing his Tigrayan brothers as malignant cancers and wild weeds. Uh, to be fair, though, Putin is not the Nobel Peace Laureate. Abi is the one defiling that laurel by exhorting Ethiopians to sacrifice blood and bone to kill their brothers and bury them in deep pits. That's it. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to contact me, I invite you to email anthonyhall279 at gmail.com or use the contact feature on my blog at www.ipjn.com. Thank you for listening. And until the next Talking Opinions, goodbye.